The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. I want to know if you're <laughs> leaping out the shit or the horn. <laughs> Just, yeah, bleep out, bleep out the <laughs> That would be great. That would be awesome. And, what and bleep out every time that Ryan and I have said it since then. Welcome, everybody, to the Legendarium Podcast, episode number 185. Today we are finally starting The Wise Man's Fear. This is part one, and I am Craig Hanks, your host, and uh, he is as curvy as a five-jot lute and sounds like he's missing a string or two. It's Kyle Lemon. You can pluck me anytime. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and <Fuck> he's, yourself. <laughs> he's, worse with, he's worse with women than Simmon. And that's it. I'm actually not kidding. It's Ken Johnson. Whatever. My A. Lars is, a, is like a blah, blah, blah. Yes. Blade of Ram to Steel. I'm, I'm awful. You. I'm awful. Are, well, hence the way with words and all yeah. of that. He'll waste more of your time than a long-winded writer, but at least he won't charge you for the experience. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> well, that might happen. That might change in the future here. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. So... As I say, this is part one for Wise Man's Fear, and I will just say right up front, spoiler alert, for roughly the first third of the book, um, the thing is, normally we all kind of stop at the same place uh, and then discuss up to that point. Today is not one of those days. Uh, Today is not that day. (laughs) It is not that day. We've all read roughly a third of the book, uh, but we're still, uh, we're all in different places. Ryan read this weeks ago. Yeah, um, I finished it again uh, like a while a month, ago. Probably a month ago. Yeah. I've had time to finish a, a game in, in a week's book, so. <laughs> right. So, anyway, and uh, Kyle and Ken and I are all, in, you know, roughly a third of the way through, but basically uh, we'll get to where we're at. Um, if you are still reading this book and you're not that far, well, spoiler alert, but that's what that means, so you already know that. Before we get started with the discussion, obviously, I've got to say, please support the podcast at patreon.com slash legendarium and go to thelegendarium.reddit.com to join in the conversation after the episode. Um, uh, Thank you, everybody. First of all, thank you, everybody on Patreon. We got some significant new patronage this week and just wanted to send out a shout out and a thank you. It really does mean a lot to us. Um, and so we are inching closer and closer to that travel goal. I kind of want you to shout at them as you shout it out. So like you should shout that. To shout give them out. an actual yeah, just shout, shout out. through the mic. And I'm not going to do that. <laughs> You're going to do that. <laughs> Take off your headphones. Headphones are coming off. All right. Well, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. But now that that's out of the way, I, well, is there anything else we're supposed to say? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, uh. Pay attention to us. Yeah, that's really. That's we need val- we Love need validation and us. conversation. Yeah. That's that's, that's basically fine. It. Validation and dinero. <laughs> <laughs> validation Which, in the form of. Dinero, but you we... but you repeat yourself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here comes Wise Man's Fear, the the first third, and I was gonna do a fancy little uh, uh, explanation for or, or what, what a synopsis, 
But then I decided not to write one when I read the perfect synopsis from Wikipedia. Uh, Ryan, you also looked this up. And so I would like you to synopsize for us the first third of the book. And mind you, this is a book that is, what, close to 400,000 words? This is a this is a monstrous book. Yes. And here's the first third of it. Okay. Uh, younger Kvothe pursues his education at the university. There he carries on a feud with fellow student Ambrose. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. There, there it is. There's some other stuff. Uh, he eventually, you know, leaves. It, it's like in that paragraph, it's like he also leaves the university and then the book starts. Uh, yeah. When you're, what, 33, 35% into the book, something like that. Yeah, there's a few people right now whose heads are getting really tight and red and everything. <laughs> no, you're missing all you're these missing the points. You're missing the point. You yes. miss the nuance. Lots, lots of little things happen and there are great character development moments that happen in this Here's, section. It's, I plot narrative driven forward wise we are at the university fighting ambrose <laughs> we're for exactly like where we 350 left. pages yep yeah chasing Which, chasing denna. denna yep um making eyes with fella or she's making eyes with simon i guess whatever um now my, my favorite part of this section we can come talk about it later uh-huh. but is his showdown with davy Oh, sure. So, yeah, let's come back to that. What I wanted to say about this is I, I feel a bit like I'm in Harry Potter 5. Uh, Harry Potter 5 is, you know, for a kid's book, it's this monstrous tome. It's 900 and something pages in the, the original hardback version. Uh, there's a lot of time spent on trivial, minor little details and day-to-day tasks. It's like, and then... Harry felt like he might want to take a dump, so he made his way to the <laughs> dump room, and you know, and like it, it just goes on and on and on about you know, and, and to get to the dumping room, he had to take three rights and then go up this staircase, and you're just like, okay, all right, I, I get it. He's at Hogwarts. I got it. Um, now, this is actually not necessarily a bad thing. I'm making fun, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because I, I feel like Harry Potter five. Even if that book is a bit, well, I should say, even if it's very indulgent, it's still a delight to read. Mm-hmm. You right. really, you feel like you are a student at Hogwarts and you feel like you know this castle and you feel like you've gotten to know not just the castle, but all the people in it and all the little nooks and crannies. And so this can be wildly charming. And I think that that applies here as well. And so, yes, we're calling it out for. Having something no, to be aware of. Yeah, for having no real plot movement, but that's okay. It's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, but for some people, it's perfect. It's exactly what they want, is just to hang out with this character that they like. But it's, if it's not so bad. I mean, I I actually enjoyed having a little bit of character development. I, I got to the point where I was like, okay, eventually we're moving this along, right? But I actually enjoyed spending some time with these characters and and seeing them interact, especially the, the little warriors, three of Kvothe, uh, Sim and, and Willem, you know, mm-hmm. it's fun seeing them actually get some, some depth to them. Right. Um, what, it, what it reminds me of a little bit is what you just said, Ken, where you've got those three guys and they're going back and forth and having their banter. It reminds me a lot of, if you've ever watched the oceans movies. Yeah. Um, and like oceans 11 is great. You've got this whole heist that happens. It, has this crazy twist you don't know what happens and at the end it like blows your mind you know like whoa this is crazy right 12 and 13 are not that they are very different like 
there's still kind of this heist thing that's trying to happen. But what the enjoyable part of 12 oceans, 12 and oceans, 13 is watching the characters interact with each other. And sometimes it's like secondary and tertiary characters in a scene, what's going on in, in the background. And that is what makes those movies super great to me Right, is what's happening there. And that's what this book feels like to me is, you know, the heist or the plot isn't really it's what's incidental yeah it's incidental it's not what's drawing me into this and so i really like seeing those interactions between quoth and willem and sim and then talk and seeing what happens with elodin and all of his quirkiness and mm-hmm. anyways so let me, yeah, let my, me ask my favorite thing about oceans 12 by the way listening to you try to defend it <laughs> that's my favorite part so let me ask you this um and this would actually come into a discussion about turning this into a visual medium piece um, most of the time, I think people read books and especially nowadays think movie, right? More along the lines <laughs> yeah, of movie sure. style. But when we deal with TV series, that tends to be more the style of like sitcoms. It's follow the characters on their weekly adventure here mm-hmm. type thing. So is this book written more as a television style field than a movie style? I think so. I, I think so as well. <sighs> I, I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't have cinematic of. and high detail and quality writing there, but no, I'm in terms just saying of I, I don't focus. I feel like it's I I see what you're getting at. I don't like the dichotomy there. Like it doesn't feel quite like either to me. Mm-hmm. But okay. I know what you're getting at, and I mm-hmm. agree with the sentiment. Okay, I'm okay yeah. with it. Yeah, I think it trans it would translate better to the TV long term, like with The Office or Parks and Rec, where it's it's about the characters and the way they interact with each other. The overall plot of those stories are kind of irrelevant. There's not really anything memorable about that. You don't care what really Michael Scott's arc is over the whole course of the show all that much. Right. The, it's very much in the background, but what it is is the day-to-day interactions. The, the point the point of those shows is that you get invested in the characters themselves, not mm-hmm. not the story. And I that's kind of where this is destined to go anyway, isn't it? I mean, uh he's got Lynn Manuel Miranda on board to to write it, and it's it's destined to be a series, eventually anyway, right? Well, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people sign on to do a lot of projects that never right. quite never come to come fruition. To, yeah. So we'll see. I'll, I'll believe it when I'm watching it on my TV. That's fine. Probably right around the time we get book three. <laughs> Let's not get into that right now, Ken. Okay, now is not the time. Well, uh, I think one of the reasons but the time will come. A couple of the points we've brought up in just in this last little bit. To me, I've been thinking a lot lately about how to talk to people about a book series, how to talk to them about something like this. You know, what should I read? You get people who ask for recommendations and you're trying to figure out, well, I think this is a great series. I've, I've enjoyed my read here and I would love to incorporate others, but I need to know things about them and ways that I can help them understand what they're getting into and being able to point out that this is going to be more of a character-based thing than... If, if you really like, based. Yeah, yeah, if you really like to just move along, that you know, it it it's helpful to be able to point that out. Ken, uh, speaking of which, Ken, does the lack of punching bother you so far? It really doesn't, uh, which is kind of surprising because I've I, I've gotten to the point where I'm enjoying the interaction between the characters, which it's not a surprise, I guess. And, and while we're talking about characters, can I can I point out two things that I noticed in this book that that he's done better. Okay, strap in everybody. Ken, with the original thought. Okay, oh go gosh. Ken. Well, I don't, I don't know if it's original because if I came <laughs> up with it, somebody else has come up with it first. But sure. he, 
he does a better job of writing Kavoth as less of a he, as less of talking down to to people. If you know what I'm talking about, or if you know this, then you know what I'm talking about. That's for, he doesn't have as many of those um, little talk down moments in it. And the other thing—that's so funny—you should say that. Go on with your other thing, but I want to come back to that. The other thing he does is, I think he does a better job in the first third of this book of explaining or or describing just exactly how young Kavoth is. Because in in the first book, he's he's only like fifteen years old. He's only like sixteen in this book, in the flashback stuff. But in the first book, he's so good at everything you forget that. And in this book, with the interactions with with Davy and with his interactions with Denna and everything, you he does a better job of writing the fact that he is a teenager and an awkward teenager at that. Right. I saw it most in his interactions with the masters. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh no, these people really are adults. He may be a bit of a child savant kind of thing, but, uh, but no, these people have been around longer. They are wiser than he is, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the, uh, quote or coat being a jerk as he's telling the story, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. I, I didn't make as many notes in this third of this book as I did in uh, in Name of the Wind. Right. But I did, <laughs> one of the only things I did highlight was this passage. I have heard what poets write about women. They rhyme and rhapsodize and lie. <laughs> I have watched sailors on the shore stare mutely at the slow rolling swell of the sea. I have watched old soldiers with hearts like leather grow teary-eyed at their king's colors stretched against the wind. Listen to me. These men know nothing of love. You will not find it in the words of poets or the longing eyes of sailors. If you want to know love, look to a trooper's hands as he makes his music. A trooper knows. <laughs> F you. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're a jackass. Like, it, when I read that, I was like, oh, okay, so this is why people don't like you. Because you're a wiener, <laughs> and you completely discount everybody else's you're experiences. A anyway, that's, that's true. I didn't. I did forget about that one. But, but overall, do you, do you know, ever I, have those experiences though, where you realize, yeah, I didn't know about something until you've experienced it? Like, well, sure. I think, sure. I think we've all had that. What are you thinking of? I'm, I'm not thinking one specifically or anything. I just that's I, I have found more often than not that. When something like that is said, oh, you don't know this until you've experienced it or whatever, that, you know, there's at least enough degree of truth to that that maybe, you know, this this is a little more perspective skewed than other things. You know, when people tell you, like, you don't know what it's like to be a parent until you've been a parent. Like, sure. Yeah, but it's this is a romanticized version of that. Right. No, I get it. I just, uh, I highlighted it because the way that it was written, the way that he says it is just so arrogant. Uh, anyway, that's all. Uh, I wasn't even yeah. going to bring that up, but Ken, you forced my hand. Well, I had to. <laughs> all right. Uh, Kyle, what do you want to talk about with this uh, first third of the book? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Pour, uh, out, your, pour out your heart and my, your, and my your whole brain. Heart, I, well, I don't have a loot, and I don't know what love is. <laughs> I want you to show me. No, for, <laughs> for not show you. Um, one of the things that was most entertaining for me in this first third was... Elodin. We get more Master Elodin. Yep. He starts teaching a class, and this guy is just a nut job. I love and, the name of his class. You remember um, how not to be a jackass? Yeah. <laughs> and I really introduction into not being a stupid jackass. There, there you go. go. There you go. And I I love watching how frustrated Quoth gets. And it's just like as a reader, I just think, well, what do you expect, man? Like you've had several interactions with this guy now. You know that he's not 
serious in any way. I mean, maybe he is, but like, how how do you go to every class and expect that he's just going to turn into this normal professor when every single time you interact with him, he's just off the wall? Right. Um, but one thing that I did actually really like was the visualization of... he. Loden goes and teaches his class, and he asks them all to uh, present their interesting fact. And he was oh, talking right. about how, <laughs> yeah, he was talking about how uh, whoever whoever wins the interesting fact award, he has a prize for them. And Quoth sucks at interesting fact, and and I can't remember. I think was it Fella that won? I think she won interesting right. fact, and he gives her the prize. And it's these little. It was fella, like yeah. the little cotton. It's a, it's uh, like a it's like a dandelion, like a dandelion, like those little wisps in the air that, right. and like it didn't it didn't go the way that he wanted him to go, and he's just like, ah, damn it! And then he goes and like throws it in the air, and he's like prancing around for ten or fifteen minutes trying to catch these little wisps of mm-hmm. whatever, <laughs> and the visualization. I'm I'm expecting the whole like the big the lesson, lesson that yeah. comes with it, you know. And the the harder he tries, the more that he can't catch it. And then all of a sudden he like inhales one when he sits down. I was thinking he was going to try to have some profound, well, you have to stop and let it come to you avatar moment kind of thing. <laughs> I and, had the exact same thought. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's intentional. But what I really liked after that was that kind of gets churning in your mind. And immediately after, Kvothe leaves the class and he tries to go find Denna. And he's looking in Imre right. at all these yeah. different places. And I just thought it was a really cool... Was that uh, when... Real quick. Was yeah. that when he goes looking for her and he finds her climbing into Ambrose's wagon or where? It, uh, I, I, think, not a wagon. I don't know if it was... I, I'm not sure. I would have but to look, look and see saying, if that wouldn't were that, the Wouldn't that be one. interesting if, if he found his little seed and it made him choke? Yeah. Like, right. Oh. I don't. I can't remember if but it was the same time, and it could have been. But I yeah. just thought it was real, a really interesting pairing those two together. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I want to say that's intentional. I'm assuming that that's intentional. But it was a really cool way of, of for me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So I, I had a professor when I was uh, at BYU. Uh, he was, uh, he was a poetry professor by trade. Mm-hmm. That, that's where his love really lay, as far as I could tell. But he was teaching a general. Um, and it was, um, you know, Western, uh, Western civilization and it was two semesters long and I took both of his classes and he was the weirdest, craziest, just most off the wall lecturer that I've ever seen. Um, and I couldn't stop thinking of this guy, uh, John Talbot. You can actually go buy some of his books of poetry. They're mm-hmm. quite charming. Um, but anyway, he, um, he was just weird. And I remember coming out of the first lecture and all these people were going, what is, who is this guy? Why am I taking this class? I wish I'd gotten somebody normal who could teach me these books. Um, and I was the exact opposite. I was, I could not get enough of this. He was very Elodin-y, uh, in his lectures. And, um, I mean, he did try to make points every once in a while, but uh, but he was very much like a load. And, and I learned more from that class than I did anything else that I took in college mm-hmm. um, as far as like how to read, at least. I've had a couple um, people that I've worked with, a professor and a couple directors, especially when you're dealing with things that aren't concrete logic. Like you, if it's math, you have rules and things like that you lay out. But when it comes to 
teaching concepts that are more abstract, working on an emotional level, doing uh, connecting uh, different things, all those weird things that you that get made fun of about like doing, you know, being a swaying tree in a class or whatever. <laughs> like I've had professors that do that, and you just don't like it doesn't make sense, and you feel really stupid until the day it clicks as to why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I love that about Aloden. one of Aloden's lessons in here that he teaches, and shortly after that one is one of my. F- I laughed so hard in the car when I was listening to it. He's teaching, he's trying to kind of reprimand Quoth a little bit and tell him, I'm trying to teach you, but you keep forcing the issue. He's talking about love and... Oh, stop sh- trying to grab my tits. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I am trying to awaken your sleeping mind. Stop grabbing my tits. And I was like, oh my gosh. I had to pause the book and just laugh for a minute there because it was just beautiful writing. Uh, I loved it. I um, Comedy gold, which is a little bit of a rarity in the book. That's true. And I may want to come back to that uh, when we make a different point. But I also got a good chuckle out of that. Uh, that was really good. Now, I wanted to um, bring up something else. Uh, there's the, the thieving that goes on uh, in Ambrose's room. They yes. try to break into Ambrose's room. It goes disastrous, disastrously wrong. Now... I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, I was just curious. Did you guys ever get up to nighttime shenanigans? Did you ever have to run away from the police? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Several times. Okay. So you and I grew up together. (laughs) You should know the answer to that. Did you, Ryan, did you ever have to run away from the police in a situation that was not instigated by me? Um, Never had, I had one night that was pretty close. We committed (laughs) multiple felonies in one night if we had been caught. Well, you were underage, so statute of limitations. Yeah. We yeah. Uh, we used to sneak into the the Roy Aquatic Center. So this is like this big water park that has like a splash pad and a bunch of water slides. Yeah, we'd sneak in at like one in the morning and we'd turn the water slides on. No way. And we would <laughs> like for like two or three hours a night in the summer. We would go have like midnight water sliding, and then we would go steal all the golf balls from the golf course that was there. <laughs> And then we'd go and hit them off in a field and stuff like that. But several times we had to run from the cops, either bare ass naked or in a swimsuit, because depending on the night that it was. Very nice. So yeah, very nice. We just knocked down mailboxes and toilet papered people's houses, and you know, caused a little bit of uh, you know, little mayhem. Little mayhem. Yeah. Uh, I I won't tell the entire story now, but I once uh, very much accidentally. Thank you very much committed a hate crime in the middle of the night um it's it's a pretty good story but now is not quite the time to tell it anyway i just was forcibly reminded again to the point of like okay he's doing a little bit better job of doing the teenage thing in Mm -hmm. this book maybe than he did in the first one and uh, that's a very teenagery thing sneaking around in the middle of the night breaking in where you're not supposed to break in just you know doing stupid stuff without thinking it through first but he has a good reason for what he's doing well it's it's not just for a girl though like, well, I, I need to make sure I'm at the right point. This Ambrose, he he believes Ambrose is doing something to him. No, no, this, this is when he's just trying to get this, the ring back. Yeah, he's just, back out. he's just trying to happens. chase tail okay. at this point. So, or chase skirt, not tail yet. Wow. Okay. Ken, Welcome you don't know 60s. how to talk to or about women. Untrue. <laughs> he's like the Kvothe of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> sure. Silver-tongued, if ever I... Saw one. He's trying to impress the girl by getting the ring. Anyway, yeah, that's and he, true. And he that's right. fumbles through it without he thinking finds it fully the, through. Because he gets caught by the hex that's on the on the, the windowsill. Window he sill. found a Beyonce album in the archives when he's readmitted. If you like it, you got to put a ring on it. So that's what he's. <laughs> that at. was uh, that was a bit tortured, Kyle. Yeah. 
Well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> that's what people pay Patreon money for. <laughs> to be a bit tortured. <laughs> um, all right. What else you guys got? Uh, Ken, Ryan, what do you want to talk about? Um, I, uh, do we want to? Can I, can I talk about the Devi battle yet? Yes. yes. Let's go there. So g- give us a little background. What's going on? So Devi is the lone, lone shark, shark, basically, yeah. that Kvoth has had to borrow from. And uh, Kvoth is having to deal with someone who is attacking him, uh, Malfeasance, and he, he can't quite protect himself as well as he would like to. He's having to stay awake. And he's starting to kind of narrow down suspects and goes to Devi, who he finds out it could be causing this. She has his blood. It makes sense. And he tries to kind of catch her by surprise, but he's so confident in his own abilities that he's, he's taking her on and gets his backside handed to him. Oh, yeah. This is the first person that we have come across that isn't like a god creature that is better than Kvoth at the at sympathy. And it is I I I I read it and I thought this is a character we need to get involved in the story more later. Not right now, but later. Right. I want I want Debbie because she is so powerful and it opens up more about her history when we get to a little bit know to know a little bit more about her and and why she's not such a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also, I I like Devi. I do and too. I want I do her too. around more. I there is very little in this world that I love more than dirty jokes and innuendos. Uh-huh. I just think they're so much fun, and so she's a great character for me to read. Yeah. Um, yep, she's full of them all. Yeah, and so I. I love all that stuff and when he got in that fight with her and she screamed at him to get out and said you know i never want to see you again when you pay off your loan send somebody else if i ever see you it's going to go badly for you etc etc i was i was really upset because i thought she was going to be out of the story that's what i thought too i was i was bummed about that i was like so when she comes back later i was i was pleased with that (laughs) excuse me that was weird i got caught on my own breath there um this interaction was one of the things that also made me think he was writing teenage Kvoth better because he goes in there completely fumbles through trying to catch her instead of going and saying somebody is is using malfeasance on me i need to check my blood could they have gotten into the blood you know he he doesn't he goes in um, just flat out accusing her or trying to catch her you know in his accusation rather than going to her and saying Dude, help a brother out, you know. This is something that should remind us of our discussions of the Wheel of Time. Uh, and I am i won't spoil anything about the Wheel of Time, so don't worry about that. Um, but uh, in our discussions, we talked a few times about how all of the friction, all of the problems in Randland came from people not communicating. Just talk to They're communicating yeah. poorly. They're not trying to c- communicate at all. And this is a great example of that where it's like, all right, I have my mind made up. I'm going to go in. I've got a plan. And uh, I think it was to your point, Ryan, where he he executes a plan just as well as he would have in book one. Mm-hmm. But now Rothfuss is probably writing him and his surroundings a little better where it's like, okay, yeah, you know what you're doing, but you're going to run into people who know what they're doing better than you right. do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a good example of that. Anyway, I... The, the communication thing, I think, is a big deal. And and the more I think about it since our Wheel of Time discussions, the more I think, like, that's that's a deeper point than we may have even realized at the time. Because I see this a lot even um, lately at work. I've been noticing this. There's friction between different people, including myself. And part of the problem is people aren't 
community it's the entire problem people aren't communicating and they're or they're not communicating well enough communication yeah. resolves conflict and when you're trying to write a story and you need to create conflict having people communicate will kind of kill that right but one thing about this that i think is pretty masterful of rothfuss in writing this though um first is the fact that we truly see it from Kvothe's perspective. Like, as I'm reading that, I believe he's starting to see the tells in her face that, you know, and we're starting to believe, yeah, it's her. Right. It's her. He writes it, so you right. start to believe that there. Um, and you can understand, like, it's understandable why he doesn't go to her and say, you know, so, hey, look, someone's using malfeasance on me. Because if you're, if you believe someone is trying to kill you, you don't walk up to that person likely and say, "Hey, I, you know, I think you're trying to kill me. Can we talk this out, please?" <laughs> That's right. true. You know, you you until they're bound in a chair. And the fact is, is both showing Kvothe having room to grow and showing how strong he is by being able to hold her as long as he does is there's so much that's set up in that scene and done in that scene to establish Kvothe and Devi, and also just to show that we are completely um, stuck in his perspective as to what things are. Right. I, I love that whole bit. I, I thought it was so well done. It uh, it sets something else up too, because before that she asks, I mean, she's given him like tons of money. She's offering him tons of money and sex to get her, get her into the archives. And you go, oh, I wonder what she's interested in, in the archives. Then you see how powerful you, she is and you go, what does she want in the archives and what is her angle and how dangerous is this woman exactly? It sets a bar for Kvothe too because she's able to split her um, Alar. her Alar into eight, I think is what it uh, was. Seven, maybe eight, I don't know, I whatever. It's like a lot. And he, he tried is, seven and he couldn't make seven. Both got to six, which is still impressive. I mean, I can barely keep my single mind on one thing, let alone <laughs> right. trying to split it into six different things. Um, Squirrel. Yeah. So I... <laughs> It gives also something to say, hey, maybe Kvothe can develop that. Maybe he can get stronger because now he's seen someone who can do something like that. So mm -hmm, sure. I look at that and go, maybe he'll get there. Maybe he won't. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, Ken, did you have something you wanted to go over? Um, or should I go? I'm interested. The uh, the girl uh, with the Chandrian pot shows up again. Oh, yeah. That was a good little mystery. Yeah. I like that. I mean, she, she shows up. Hey, there's a girl. They keep showing up saying you, you you sold charms. Are you selling charms? I'm gonna kick you out of the academy, the university if you're selling charms. And he doesn't know what's going on until she shows up, and it's the girl from the last book that he he gives the the rock or the something amulet. to saying the amulet, saying this will this will protect your dreams. Just thinking it'll it'll calm her down, and she comes back saying it it worked, it calmed my dreams. And here's a picture of the, the um, Chandrian pot that mm -hmm. we saw in the last one. And now he's that that leads them to the the extremely boring task of going several chapters into the uh, archives searching for the Amir. But now we're into the Amir, and I'm I'm interested. Well, two things. I'm I'm interested to see what they're about, but at the same time, I'm like, right now I don't care because you're not telling me why I should care. You know what I mean? Because for the the first third of the book, we've just been hanging out with these guys, seeing them develop and everything. We haven't worried about the Chandrian at all. And now we're supposed to like a, kind of like a dog with a toy. It's like, Oh, now I'm supposed to focus on the Chandrian because she shows back. Right, up. Right. At this point in the book, since we've already drawn a Harry Potter comparison, 
the Amir are to me what the Quidditch World Cup is to Harry Potter. I would be so into it, but I just don't. It doesn't really fit in where we're at in the story. Right. Like Harry Potter, it's like it's so cool, but what's the point? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why are we here? Yeah. So I, I'm I'm waiting to see what the payoff is. I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I, principally, I'm interested, but practically, I'm not because I don't know why I should be. When I got to that point in the story, when she shows up and and then she kind of gives him all this info and the drawings that she made based on the the clay pot um uh all i could think was oh wow something happened yeah um and so maybe it's like the opposite of the quidditch world cup for me <laughs> where i'm like oh shit, voldemort <laughs> <laughs> that's right i forgot about that guy okay i should probably go bleep that out sorry uh anyway so, <laughs> that's, i want to know if you're bleeping out the shit or the voldemort <laughs> <laughs> just yeah bleep out, bleep out the <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> that would be awesome. And, what and bleep out every time that Ryan and I have said it since then. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, just writing down my swear words. Okay. So, I don't know. I, do Do we want to talk about this more? I have other things I can say, but I feel like this is kind of important to the story. Do we have anything else to say other than, oh, that's right. I, the there's this thing we're supposed thing. to care about. I feel like it's important to the story but I feel like it's important to the story next recording or the recording after. Right. The only thing I, I think the only thing uh, apart from the drawings that he got that caught my attention was, um, uh, well, actually it, it was part of that, but then also the story he tells with the old man going to the different fires. Oh, right. Um, and then, and then finally goes to the, he, he ends up at an Amir's campfire and the Amir can't spare anything because he has more important things to do, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there's that tidbit. Then there's the clay pot tidbit where the girl is like, she's had dreams about what she saw on the clay pot and that's how she's able to draw it. And she's terrified of the eighth person and the eighth person is an Amir. Um, so right. there's seven Chandrian, then there's one Amir and she's like, he's the scary one. He's got the red, the red hands and the symbol on his chest and all this stuff. And she's scared of him. And I'm wondering if this is like a foreshadowing that, um, that the Amir aren't the good guys that we're being led to believe that they are. It's not like these are, um, the, the virtuous knights who are right. They're not keeping the paladins. At bay. Uh, so I wonder, but of course we've seen what the Chandrian are capable of and what they do to protect their secrets. So it, it would be, difficult at this point to say oh so those are our good guys he's gonna pull a switcheroo see I, but yeah. i wonder if it'll be a situation where he says no there are no good guys in this struggle and you are in a story where our main character is caught in the middle or something yeah. like that so anyway i'm with you uh okay so i wanted to bring up the archives we've already asked what's in the archives that debbie wants so much but i just want to talk about the archives themselves uh this is a point that i i couldn't help but think of and it doesn't necessarily have to do with the story itself it's more of a general philosophical point so i hope you'll forgive me for that um but the archives it, it, this point is made in the first book and then it's made again this time and so it's really driving the point home that the archives are disorganized and um and it's a terrible mess and everybody hates it and uh, i just want to find my quote here don't you know the Dewey Decimal <laughs> System? Um, Conan if, the Librarian. 
uh, okay, here's my here's my quote. Um, it, so it's all Will is complaining about the cataloging systems and the different masters who have done their different cataloging systems. And Kvothe laughs and says, you sound like they should be pilloried for it. Perhaps, Will grumbled. I would not weep over such a thing. Sim looked over at him. You can't blame a master for trying to organize things in the best way possible. I can, Willem said. If the archives were organized badly, it would be a uniform unpleasantness we could work with. But there have been so many different systems in the last 50 years. Books mislabeled, titles mistranslated, and kind of goes on a little bit. So that's that's the point that we're working with here. And it's a very um it it's a very Burkean uh, point or a Chestertonian point. I think I've brought up Chesterton's fence on a previous episode. Mm-hmm. You come up to the fence, two men walk up to a fence and mm-hmm. one says, "What's let's tear this fence down. There's no point to this fence." And the first man says, "You tell me what the point is and then I'll consider letting you tear it down." There's this idea that um you are not smarter, you are not wiser than the untold generations that came before you. And that an institution, even be it so simple as something like a library catalog system, um, is something that should be meddled with, uh, should not be meddled with lightly, shall we say. And you can see this point and how it would work now where, gosh, what am I trying to say? we value expertise and we want to do things the right way we're always looking for like okay but what's the better way to do something but if it's already working you know tread lightly and the the example that one of my favorite authors came up with was stoplights we may very well find out at some point that uh, psychologically or physiologically it makes more sense for red to mean go and green to mean stop but it it wouldn't be worth the ensuing death and chaos and destruction just to switch over from the actual institution that we already have. There's some value in um, in accepting traditions and institutions that do work, even if you think there might be a slightly better way to do it. Um, it's not it's not a uniform point. Obviously, if if something's going wrong, you fix it. But tread lightly where traditions and institutions are concerned. I think I that. A very similar lesson I learned from a leader that I had for uh, a while. He came in and brand new into the position, had a few years that he was going to be working. And he said, look, I, I want to let you all know that in this first year, unless it's on fire, I'm not going to change anything because I need to learn how it works. And I've kind of incorporated that personally into the way I approach leadership and and new experiences. And that is to go in and, and to learn why things are the way they are before trying to overhaul even if it looks like yeah this makes this makes no sense i could i could do this so much better if i did this way to figure out why is it the way it is also to help avoid recreating that same problem right down the road i think it's it's a very valid valid point yeah i'll i'll out kyle on this one kyle just got a promotion a few months ago and uh and so it moves into this management role and uh, i hope i'm telling it right you move, move into the management role and you see how things are going and it's easy to say, and I know you have said, like, this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And I may be inclined to agree with you on many of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've also said, but, you know, we'll make changes slowly. Yep. We're, we're going to introduce these things slowly. So yeah, anyway, 100%. This, this, is a, this is a real applicable principle. It's exactly what Ryan said is, like, even even before getting into the weeds and finding out exactly 
why it is the way that it is. It was very apparent that it needed to change, but when to implement that change and what's the cost of doing it either too quickly or without the whole, without the whole picture. Uh, yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing to consider, especially something as massive. Like I, I kept thinking when they were explaining the archives, I'm like, oh, well, they just need to invent Google and they're good to go because then they can just <laughs> upload it and then just you're good to go. You right. Know? But uh, that's, I mean, that's therein lies that problem is just how large of a, yeah, and, you'd have so, to have generations that were going to sign off on sticking to this plan yeah. for the next 400 years. Right. You know. Well, and, and when I think about, okay, so you've got Master A who has his system and Master B wants to change it halfway through the process, wouldn't it be wiser to finish out cataloging the entire library, however imperfect you think that system is? Because then once you have everything cataloged, it's going to be that much easier to actually change the system. Anyway, assuming I feel you like- could, Assuming you could actually like enumerate where it was in the process. Like, we have done half the library this way. Sure. Yeah. But if they're only like a quarter of the way in... Right. I mean, I, 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 yeah, we're, I don't want to belabor this point too much. I just, uh, it had me thinking a little bit. I, I, I like philosophy. Sue me. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Please don't. <laughs> we could, we couldn't do that. We couldn't handle that. <laughs> we're just, we're just, and this is not a joke. Our, um, our Patreon donations, if we were starting the year fresh, uh, our Patreon donations are just enough now that we're going to have to start paying taxes soon. Oh. Lord help us all. Wow. Um, so, yeah, we don't have the money for you to sue us. We're going to have to pay the government. They're already suing us <laughs> for existing. So, okay. Anyway, uh, now I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> taxes, are you kidding me? We went for- Why did I bring this up? <laughs> you, you were talking philosophy. You were very happy a moment ago. I know. And then I got into taxes. Okay. <laughs> i've got other things i want to talk about but uh I, i've been talking a lot for the last few minutes what else you got ryan you got anything kyle you got anything we could talk about the frame story for a minute sure uh you, just from the the very beginning of the book you know bast has at the end of last book snuck into chronicler's room and basically threatened him um and bast wants chronicler to break coat out of his, his funk yeah yeah Whatever that is. Give me back um, my Reshi. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, I'm curious, like, how he thinks that's going to happen. I want to know more about that. Like, I don't really have anything profound to say about that, but that's a part of the story that, although very small, it is the frame story. It is the story we'll eventually get back to after Quoth finished t- finishes telling his whole thing. right and so what does that mean or does it mean anything is it simply just a device for telling the story i do feel like we're getting just little tiny inklings that it is working Mm -hmm. um because when excuse me when if things continue to happen what's his name walks up to the inn and he sees him coming so he breaks the story and says okay this guy's coming Cobb, i think it is Mm -hmm. Cobb's coming Um, we need to take a break and it's like, he's, it's like, he's directing a little play. Okay. I'm, I'm going to stage you here. You guys are telling a joke. Um, I'm going to be back in the back. And then when he comes in, it's like, okay, everybody get into character. Here we go. Then Cobb walks in and they, and they get back into their thing. 
where so i i feel like rothfuss is signaling just a little bit with those kind of things that um that he is uh on the continuum of coat to quoth he is working his way more toward both mm-hmm. so that he needs to make a little bit more of an effort than he might have previously to do coat. One of the things that got me thinking about just that. And like, so there was the scene where, uh, what's the kid's name that I think came it's Carter. in Carter. He was going to go join the, oh, the, the military military yeah. and quoth tries to convince him not to, by basically revealing, Hey, I'm quoth stay here and I'll tell you my story. <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all was, which I thought was kind of an interesting decision because, his whole the whole reason he's there is to be in hiding. So right. why why this kid? Why now? Um, and part of it's because I think he just spent a whole day telling his story to Chronicler. But it got me thinking about the the way that the the Ailer works and how he's split him, his mind into different portions mm, yeah, or whatever. That's a good point. So he's got Coat, and that's a personality. And there's Quoth, who's a different personality, right? And and this this is just me theorizing. But the more he, more time he spends in this quote role, the more he kind of methodically goes through the innkeeper's life. This is what Bast is talking about, how he's slowly becoming more and more just an innkeeper. And even the fact, like, we all do things very subconsciously. We all have our our routines and it just happens. And I think the more that he sticks in that routine, the more he's being sunk more, you know, back into coat even more. And by telling the story and interrupting even just the day, like, first of all, in the name of the wind, the scrail show up and that just creates a whole different thing. Then he's, he's not doing his daily, daily repetition. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's a really interesting, cause I wasn't on the last couple episodes, so I apologize yeah, for jumping back, but there's a very methodical nature to, Every single day, Cobb and the gang shows up and they tell stories. Every single day, Coat does the exact same thing. And now we're interrupting the pattern. And so even just the interruption, Chronicler's not necessarily actively doing anything, but the interruption is messing with that Ailer Ailer mm-hmm. mindset. Um, because when in in this book, when we see how they're explaining how that kind of works to Denna. They emphasize how much he has to keep focus on this thing or that thing. And like really hard, fast focus on that particular ailer. Right. And if he can't focus on it as much because the story's in the back of his mind and he's thinking about how is he going to tell the story to Chronicler? He's thinking about, Oh, this skin changer thing just showed up. Oh, the scrail showed up. Oh, there's a lot of things that are going right. on. He can't maintain that focus as much. And so, it's just kind of naturally breaking him out of that as well. Right. That's a great point. Anyway. Um, the, uh, the thing that I thought of when he was, he told the, was it the Smith's apprentice? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he tells the Smith's apprentice, I am quoth and I will tell you these stories. I, I was like, oh, okay, he really is coming out of a shell because what do we know about him? He's a, He's he's uh, self-important. Okay. He's sanctimonious. <laughs> right. Let's assume that I'm or the center of the was. universe. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. In the story he's telling, he's uh, he's kind of a boastful little fifteen-year-old yeah. jerk, and so that's kind of coming out again. Anyway, Ryan, you were about to say something. Well, and then you I yawned. Don't remember if it was on Reddit or a Facebook post or something, um, or in a conversation. 
Someone shared a fan theory about Quoth in his in the framing story that I'm not adhering to. I'm not saying I think this is the case, but it certainly opened up some different thought processes for me. Um, and his con- the concept was that the the Chandrian were each cursed with something. Oh yeah, yeah. That and the idea that at some point in time in the in Quoth's journeys that eventually he becomes cursed like a Chandrian and loses something. His ability, and like the ability, whether that's like, because he doesn't sing anymore, he doesn't do, yeah, he struggles with uh, doing sympathy. Like, has Quoth lost his name or has or has he given his name to Denna? Has he done something there? Um, and so when we, anytime we're in the framing story, like right now, I, I kind of go through and for at least a little while, I will play with that theory and say, okay, if he's lost something that isn't just natural wear and tear of doing innkeeper mm-hmm. work every day, what is it? And what is it that telling his story will help him get that back? How will he be able to get over that? Because um, that's ultimately the goal for Bast is to get his master back, which I assume is a good thing. Like I, I We yeah, don't really know I, why he wants, other than... I, if you have a choice between the innkeeper and Kvoth, the legendary hero, you probably want Kvoth, but I don't know. Maybe yeah, that, he's, that's he's a- really walking a fine line here at Rothfuss's, I mean, um, between giving us some mystery with these characters and their background and, you know, why he wants his Reshi back and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He's walking that line between mystery and, uh, yeah, we don't care. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he's walking it so finely that a lot of people are really going to fall on one side or the other hard mm-hmm. and, and get obsessed with the mystery or just say, why well, I don't care about the framing story. Why, why the framing story? Which is where the argument for the timeliness of writing the books matters because when you're writing that fine of a line, waiting a long time will drive people crazy Yeah, versus getting it sooner. Or make but, them apathetic. Yeah. Like, right. I think that's, that's an argument to be made for give us something, which is, he kind of has, we haven't read Bast's short story and right. we haven't read... Slow uh, Regard. Um, what was her name? Ari. Ari's, Ari's short story. So perhaps there's some of that in there that's kind of little feeding to people say, you know, you should care and here's a little bit to, to satiate your appetite while we deal with, while I work on the rest of it. Um, maybe, I, we haven't, I haven't got to those yet, right. so we'll see. Okay. Uh, cool. Well, we are, we've got a few more minutes if we need them. Anybody else have a bullet point that they want to bring up? I'm just trying to think uh, in this section. Yeah. Like it's, it's, that was the heaviest silence of the three. <laughs> <laughs> and it was ours. Uh, okay. I, I think, frankly, I'm good because like we've said, uh, not a ton happened and I'm wondering if, how much under an hour we can make this episode because most of our last few have been 85 minutes long or something. I mean, there's a couple what, other points. we. I just feel like we'd be belaboring points we've already hit a little bit. But exactly. Dealing with the idea that Kvoth, now basically because of some things that happened with Ambrose and everything, is going to kind of have to figure out how how do you pay for university. Mm-hmm. Your tuition is going to be skyrocket high, you know, for from what things you've been doing like right. there are things that we have dealt with in the past but now we're gonna have to yes that are gonna kind of come to fruition but at least now i mean 
depending well, on uh, depending on where you where you want to say your end is at least now he's leaving the university for a while and we have the explanation of his expulsion i was expelled right. before like okay you were legitimately expelled but in the previous but then it was all kind of smoothed way, over smoothed yeah. over now we actually have a legitimate oh this is what actually got you out of the university got it right right okay. i i don't i'm interested to see what uh how much farther they can go with with Kavoth versus a- Ambrose, and I, I imagine it ends up with Ambrose being dead. That that's one just, of the two has to die. Uh, I have for a theory the, the, about that. Not, neither can live while the other survives. Sure, is that <laughs> what we're going with? So you and Craig, you and I were talking at work about how we're halfway through the second book, and we still don't even know how Kavoth got half of his nicknames that he got, and who knows how close we are to getting to the actual king killer thing, right? Um, but we were talking and just kind of bouncing it off each other about how it's been mentioned a few times that Ambrose's family is is in line for the throne, right? Like so, he's like twelve or twelve 13 away or something, like or something. And I'm wondering if if something happens, whether it's in this book or the third book, where somehow Ambrose rises up to be second in line or first, you know, becomes king or or his father or something becomes king. Because the only thing in my mind that, like, to have Quoth actually kill somebody, like, Ambrose is the person that he would kill without question. Yeah. And there is no reason right now, and granted, we're only halfway through the second book, there's absolutely no reason for Quoth to be involved with the king, anything on that scale, let alone have to kill him. Right. And if it comes across as, like, like we were talking, we were joking about how... I can't remember what you said at work, but just like he oh, nonchalantly kills the king and like, oh, well, okay. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Was that ricin on the tip of my umbrella? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wonder if something with because like it's been mentioned a few times and that's not by accident yeah. that Ambrose is so in it's line a, it's for the an throne interesting eventually. theory. And I think if we were either smarter or more prepared, uh, we would be able to tease a little something out because he's made mention, especially... Uh, in the interludes, uh, like the one when he's talking to the kid who wants to join the army, uh, he br- brings up like, well, isn't it good for to fight for the king? And he's like, well, not this king. Not, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's little things like, so there's an indication that he has, if not a relationship with, at least a knowledge of whatever kingdom he's living in at the moment. I can't mm-hmm. remember what that is. And, and an I, I think it's forward. mentioned. Mm-hmm. I just want to say like, this is a discussion I want to come back to in our third episode once we've gone through everything. Because one of the hardest things about discussing that at this point is the world that we have been introduced to here is the university and Kvos troop and like a little bit of a city. Like, right. yeah, we don't know the world at large, but now that he's leaving and going out there, we're going to get to see a little more of the machinations of a world. Hey, hey machinations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to be able to see more out there. And some of that might start to take shape a little bit better. Um, it may or it may not. I actually legitimately can't remember. There's a, I, remember <laughs> I, I remember a couple times going, oh, that's probably the king. Like that's the, that's the story of how he's going to be the king killer starting here. But I really do like the idea that Ambrose works his way up. What would be the best payoff, I think, in my mind as of right now, would be that what Kvothe does puts Ambrose on the throne. Yeah. Accidentally. Ooh. I want to, I want to, I want to yeah. pitch another theory simply just to have it out there because I'm, I'm 
you know, it's far afield, but Sim is nobility. Right, low-ranking nobility. Yeah, I mean, so is it... So con- he kills Sim. Is it conceivable that he leads to Sim's death? Maybe Sim does something to get into a position of power and he leads to Sim's death. That sounds like a stretch. I know, as I say, it's far afield, but I just want to throw it out there. Okay, all right, well, uh, and to you've say- both staked your claims. Uh, I yeah. accept. What were you gonna just say? before we close out there, so we can I, again. I need your help remembering if where this is. I we will at least mention the fact that Quoth is working on a device with Master Kilvin, or to prove his mastery, so that he can work in the artificery. Oh, oh yes, yes. The device. I can't remember if you guys said it. It no, hadn't been finished. I by no. He's I've, finished. I've, he's finished the finished Graham. But he hasn't finished his surprise project yet. And okay. where I'm at. Where to, you're at. To me, he has. Okay. Oh, and the gram. We that Oh yeah, we we know what the disc is that, that was around the amulet that was around uh, old Ben Ben's neck, yeah. Ben Kenobi. A gram. Uh, yeah. The, it was a gram. To... Well yeah, presumably. So okay. That's probably something worth remembering. That's probably something we should have brought up. All right, so let's let's call it there because uh, we're at like 56 minutes and I am just tickled to death that we were able to do an episode in under an hour. Um, it's been a long time, I feel <laughs> like. I'll have to go back in the archives and see when the last one was that was under an hour. Um, okay, so thanks everybody for listening. We will uh, pick it up again in a week or two. I can't remember if we have anything coming up in the intervening week. Uh, but uh, when we pick it up, it'll be the next third of the book. Uh, so I don't know exactly where that takes us, but we'll be chatting with you all on uh, on Reddit. So if you want to throw some suggestions on Reddit, go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and join the conversation for this episode. You'll find a discussion thread there. And if you want to make some suggestions on where we should end our reading for the next episode, go ahead and put that. Just mark it with a spoiler alert and all that stuff so that uh, nobody gets anything spoiled. And we will, would love your suggestions there. I think I, and I'll throw out my recommendation. If, okay. If other people, you can tell me whether or not you agree. I would say post-Felurian. Post-Felurian. I, I think I remember what that means. Uh, but it's been a long, long time since I read this book. So, uh, all right. So we will see you all for that. Uh, as always, please support the show at patreon.com slash legendarium. And, uh, I've already mentioned, go to the legendarium.reddit.com and join the conversation. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. Um, and that's it. Bye. Bye.